stripe time now. Welcome to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Tribe Talk is brought to you by Progressive, helping Indians fans save hundreds on car insurance. Everyone, welcome to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this weekend from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Great to have you with us for baseball talk on the radio for the next hour here on Tribe Talk. Coming up later on in this week's show, we will begin our off-season features looking back at some of the great games of 2019. And we begin our series with the 2019 home opener for the Indians, a comeback win against the Chicago White Sox. We will also hear from Dave, who's one of the radio voices of the Washington Nationals, who are awaiting the winner of the American League Championship Series after New York's victory last night. That series still up for grabs. The Yankees in Houston battling it out in Game 6 now to be played in Houston. And the winner will take on the Nationals. And a surprise to many based on the start that they had, but as uh, Dave fills us in, a lot of things went right after the slow start. Well, I mean, the, the 19 and 31 start was re- really just a uh, uh, just a host of bad circumstances health-wise. I mean, for for a while, uh, they they were without four of their top five hitters in the lineup, and and Trey Turner is, is really and he was out for the the most lengthy period of time. He's one of the dynamic players in the league. I mean, there are not a lot of guys like Trey Turner in baseball anymore. I mean, he can win games with with speed, power, and defense. And you take your shortstop. And your leadoff hitter out, you know, for six weeks, and and they did not have a, a quality replacement there. So that was a big, a big loss in the lineup. And then Anthony Rendon, who's an MVP candidate, Juan Soto missed time, Ryan Zimmerman missed time, and his backup Matt Adams missed time. So uh, they were really, you know, just they were thrown out in, in some cases a Triple A lineup. The starting pitching hung in there, uh, but the bullpen, along with the lineup injuries, the bullpen, and most of those cast of characters are gone now. They were an historically bad bullpen up into the all-star break. I mean, their ERA was seven. And that was coupled with the fact that they were f- throwing the fewest innings uh, of any bullpen. Their starters were doing the job, but you would get to the eighth inning, and it was an absolute coin flip whether you're going to hold on to a lead. Also coming up on this week's show, Indian Senior Vice President Bob DiBiasio takes a look back at the life and times of Hal Narragon. He passed away at the age of 90 in late August a longtime Cleveland Indian from back in the 50s, a part of the 1954 World Series Cleveland Indians, and a Barberton native. And that's something that Bobby D. says was a special part of the career for Hal Narragon. He had been such a force in that community. Um, when he was in high school, uh, Bo Schembechler, University of Michigan uh, uh, Hall of Fame coach, uh, was a teammate of Hal's, as well as a gentleman by the name of Bob Addis. Um, those listening, uh, old-timers listening, will know the name Bob Addis. He was signed to a, a professional baseball contract by the uh, Boston Braves, but 
in our neck of the woods, a very highly regarded, renowned high school baseball coach at Euclid High School um, for decades, just revered in the sandlots and high school world uh, here in Northeast Ohio. So that's just some of what's to come on this week's show. And before we get there, first some news and notes, and of note for the Indians, catcher Roberto Perez, well, when we talked to him earlier in the season, especially as uh, things got past the All-Star break, he talked about battling through an ankle issue that really had him hobbled but he managed to stay on the field the bulk of the time and put together a tremendous season with a career-best 24 home runs, also a career-high in runs driven in, did not allow a passed ball all season, and it should be interesting to see how things go when the American League Gold Glove Award is announced. Certainly he would be a front-runner behind the plate, but he had ankle surgery to remove bone spurs in that right ankle late this week as uh, Everything went well, and it's expected that he'll be ready for unrestricted baseball activity at the start of spring training. So just some light news for the Indians this past week as we get deeper into the offseason for the Tribe. But when we come back, we'll hear from Indian Senior Vice President Bob DiBiasio on the life and times of Hal Narragon, a Cleveland Indian from the 1950s, seven years in a Tribe uniform, and a Barberton native. That's coming up after this break on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Buckle up, folks. Here we go again. Who keeps you cheering year after year? Who's got the ballpark? The best is all right here. Who's got the fans with so much Cleveland? Right. Who's talking baseball? baseball. Talking tribe. We're talking baseball. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Well, the beauty of our off season shows is it gives us an opportunity and, and more time to delve into some important things in Indians history and shed some light on some of the great players who have passed through the Cleveland Indians from time to time. One of those players who was part of the 1954 World Series Cleveland Indians was backup catcher Hal Narragon. And we honor Hal Narragon this week as he passed away late this season in late August at the age of 90. But it was a life filled with great memories of playing for his hometown team. Here's a Barberton native as uh, he played for Barberton High School and then was signed by the Indians and had a chance to play for the hometown team at a time when the Indians were one of the best clubs in the American League. He ended up spending seven seasons with the Indians, three more with the Washington-Minnesota franchise, and uh, had that one World Series appearance as a player, and then as a coach went to two more, 1965 with the Twins and 1968 with the Tigers. So, Really a fulfilling career in the game of Major League Baseball for Hal Narragon. And certainly the numbers for him as a, a backup role-type player, they're not going to jump out at you. But the year after the World Series season for the Indians, 1955, he appeared in 57 games and hit 323 that year. So certainly one of the better years of his career. But for Hal Narragon, the numbers only tell part of the story, as Indian Senior Vice President Bob DiBiasio explains. Hal Narragon was probably one of the most uh, 
uh, incredible gentleman that I've had the honor and privilege to call a friend in these years of being involved in um, the Cleveland Indians organization. Uh, I don't know if there's ever a more positive human being that I met. Um, one day we talked about the art of coaching and asked him some of the most remarkable pitchers in the game of baseball that he had an opportunity um, to either catch uh, as he was the backup catcher on the 54 um, American League champion Cleveland Indians backing up uh, the great Jim Hegan, obviously on that staff, uh, early win and Mike Garcia and Bob Lemon and Bob Feller, the big four, uh, Don Mossy and Narleski in the bullpen, Xard Houdeman. Um, and then he goes on to become a bullpen coach in Minnesota where the Jim Cott is the star pitcher there. And then he's a bullpen coach in 68 with the Detroit Tigers with Denny McLean winning 31 games that year. Mickey Lolich on that uh, staff as well. And he said, I, I don't know the answer to why people thought of me as such a great coach. I guess maybe it's because I was a great listener and I was always positive. And that just stuck with me, Rosie, just how simple uh, uh way that he put his expertise and his ability uh, to bond with such great stars in our game by listening and being very positive. I think that's a lesson that just obviously we all uh, could live by. Well, a common theme from some of the good coaches who have come through Cleveland in recent seasons, certainly. And, you know, what, Bobby D, I think the, one of the, the neat things about Hal Narragon, the local angle for him a barberton high school uh, born and raised there and uh, when you look back at that that, that's uncommon for a player to be that close to to where he ended up playing in his major league career but for him uh, born and raised there and and stayed there after his playing career too well he's we always kidded him that you know barberton's known you know their name is the barberton magic and i always said how uh uh, Hal Narragon brought the magic to Barberton uh, just because, again, of his positive nature and being such a gentleman. And, um, he had been such a force in that community. Um, when he was in high school, uh, Bo Schembechler, University of Michigan uh, uh, Hall of Fame coach, uh, was a teammate um, of Hal's, as well as a gentleman by the name of Bob Addis. Um, those listening, uh, old timers listening, will know the name Bob Addis. He was signed to a, a professional baseball contract by the uh, Boston Braves, but in our neck of the woods, a very highly regarded, renowned high school baseball coach at Euclid High School. Um, for decades, just revered in the sandlots and high school world uh, here in Northeast Ohio. So there's uh, Hal Narragon and Bob Addis and Bo Schumbeckler all playing on the same high school basketball and baseball teams. Um, that's pretty cool. When you look back at, at his last days, uh, Hal had a chance to attend an Indians game in late August 
And uh, what do you think that meant to him being able to come out to the ballpark with his wife and, and just enjoy a ball game in the late summer? He's got a phone call from his daughter, Pam, who obviously we've known over all these years, his wife, Joanne, um, knowing that uh, uh, Hal was uh, in hospice care, but his last uh, real wish was he wanted to take in one last Cleveland Indians home game. And so we were able um, to uh, obviously take care of that wish. And he was there with his old buddies, Joe Nasek, uh, Gary Roggenberg, Richie Rollins and their wives and uh, all of us uh, hanging out all day long in the suite while we uh, watched the tribe game. Uh, we were fortunate that uh, uh, we had an afternoon game during that period of time uh, that uh, his energy level was up. And it was a remarkable time uh, to be able to have uh, the opportunity to just sit and tell him how much we loved him and how much uh, he meant to all of us to have his friends uh, with him, his grandchildren with him. Uh, and he just, he passed just a few days later. And uh, um, so uh, it just, uh, uh, it warms your heart that you were able to be there for a guy that was always there for you and for the organization. Um, again, just a, a special man and a, a very special day that we all had an opportunity to uh, be a part of. Indian Senior Vice President Bob DiBiasio joining us, talking about the life and times of Hal Narragon, who passed away late this baseball season, one of the few remaining from that 1954 Indians World Series team. He passed away at the age of 90. And, and Bobby D., you mentioned uh, what the Indians meant to him. Obviously, uh, seven of his major league seasons spent with the Tribe, the team that signed him. How often and how close was he to the organization um, in his later years uh, to want to still be able to come back and be around the team at, at various points in time. We invited him up until this year, um, 90 years old, to our charity golf outing. And he'd always be the very first one at Quail Hollow and get there because he said he didn't want to be late and run into any traffic. And we'd always laugh because he would be the first guy there uh, in his cardigan sweater, looking dapper, uh, the gentleman that he was, and uh, just would put a smile on everybody's face. You know, he he had somebody tell him when he was a high school athlete that, you know, he had an opportunity possibly to be a professional baseball player and he should hone his skills as a catcher. And so he did a tryout with the Cleveland Indians. And they were, uh, while he was still a senior, uh, at Barberton High School and uh, upon graduation signed a contract uh, with the Cleveland Indians, uh, was drafted into the Marines uh, uh, 1951 through 1953, serving his country um, as a Marine and then continued on with his baseball career. So he comes back from being in the United States Marines and Lo and behold, he's a backup catcher to the famed big four of the Cleveland Indians. Um, and from that day forward, he's always felt this connection to this organization. And it was incumbent upon myself and Nate Genoso, Joan Barno, those who work 
in our alumni group to make sure that uh, uh, people keep tethered to the organization and any opportunity we had to include Hal in what we were doing, he never said no to us. And, um, you know, just such a close, dear friend and um, all heartbroken. Um, but again, at uh, in his 90s, um, able to see him at the ballpark, smiling and happy uh, with some of his old baseball buddies. Um, I don't know if there's uh, uh, anything better um, late in life that you could uh, fulfill something that brings you joy when you know uh, your time is near. Well, Bobby D., I know sometimes during the, the heat of the pennant race, which the Indians were in uh, at the time of Hal's passing, we don't have a chance to, to devote uh, good quality time to it, but um, I'm happy that you had a chance to stop by today and, and fill us in on, on some of the great things that were part of Hal Narragon as a baseball player and a Northeast Ohio guy who fulfilled that dream and played for the Indians. Well, thanks for the opportunity, Rosie. Hal, again, an incredible gentleman, always positive, uh, very special man. Uh, thanks for giving us the opportunity to, uh, to remember him fondly. Boy, always great to have that perspective from Bobby D as uh, he details the life and times of Hal Narragon, who passed away in late August at the age of 90. Stay tuned. We'll have more to come after this timeout on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. This week, we begin our look back at the 2019 season, highlighting some of the great games of what was a very entertaining season. Despite no postseason appearance for the Indians, their 93 wins, a better record than a year ago, the 2018 campaign, and there were a lot of thrillers along the way. So on a regular basis now, during our off-season editions of Tribe Talk, we'll take a look back and feature a game of the week. And this week, it's the Indians' home opener at Progressive Field. That was April the 1st this past season. The Indians played host to the Chicago White Sox. Both teams came in with a 1-2 and two record. The Indians had opened their year, dropping two out of three in Minneapolis against the eventual division champion Minnesota Twins. And they came into Progressive Field for a 4-10 first pitch on a 37-degree afternoon, which is about what you'd expect on April the 1st. But there was sunshine, no rain, and both teams were ready to go with a great pitching matchup. Mike Clevenger for the Indians getting ready to make his first start against Yvonne Nova for the White Sox. And as advertised, this one was a beauty from the get-go on the mound. Clevenger came out of the gate ready to go, as we saw in the top half of the first inning. The Brayu out of Cuba has been a force since coming to this country. The pitch swung on a miss. My goodness. Another mid-90s fastball. And I'll tell you what, folks. Mike Clevenger looks like he's ready for the World Series right now. He blows away the White Sox, striking out the side. The Indians are coming to bat. And Clevenger would stay on track the remainder of the afternoon, matched, though, pitch for pitch by Nova. Both pitchers on their game early. It stayed scoreless until the sixth. That's when the Indians broke through 
as Carlos Santana playing in his first home game after being away from the Tribe in the 2018 season. Well, he made an immediate impact in front of the home fans. Outfield, medium deep, straight away. Nova's ready, and here it comes. A swing and a bouncing ball into the shift, into right center, base hit. Indians take the lead. Ramirez scampering home, and Carlos Santana keeps delivering. His sixth hit of the year, his fourth RBI, one nothing Tribe. And again, Santana just keeping that swing under control. Bangs one through the shift into right center for an RBI hit, and the Indians lead one to nothing here in the bottom of the sixth inning. It looked like that one run might hold up the way Clevenger was going as he was dealing through seven. Now the 2-2 delivery. Swing and a miss. Elevated the fastball and got him. Well, Clevenger's day is done with a new career-high 12 strikeouts. He made 106 pitches. He went seven shutout innings today. He struck out a career-best 12. He walked three. He gave up one hit, a base hit in the fifth inning, and he'll leave it in the hands of the bullpen the rest of the way. But in the top half of the eighth inning, an Indian's error led to the White Sox tying the game at one. And then Ryan Cordell blasted a two-run home run, and just like that, the White Sox were on top by a 3-1 to score. So we went to the bottom half of the eighth inning with the Indians trailing and looking to respond. The White Sox returned the favor. They made an error of their own that helped cut the lead to 3-2. to And then Max Moroff, who was with the ball club early on with injuries to Francisco Lindor and Jason Kipnis, he was in there as a pinch hitter in this particular case, and he came through to tie the game. Here's Max Moroff to bat left-handed first A.B. The pitch. A swing and a line drive toward left field. It's a base hit. That'll tie the game. Bowers scores. And Max Moroff in for defense has come through with an opposite field RBI single to left. His first hit in RBI as a Cleveland Indian. Next up, Roberto Perez was looking to put the Indians on top. 3-3 tie, bases loaded, one out in the eighth, a 3-0 count. I think he's taking the pitch. Ball four, he missed low. The Indians take the lead. Roberto Perez, a four-pitch walk with the bases loaded. And the Indians scored their third run of the inning. And the Indians have regained the lead at four to three, and the bases are still loaded. Oh, and who knew at that point the type of season that Perez would have for the Indians as he would go on to hit 24 home runs, post career highs in home runs and RBIs, and he certainly secured a big RBI in this one in the bottom half of the eighth inning, and then looking for some insurance, Greg Allen came through. Bases loaded, one out. A 3-1 count on Gregory Allen. Freyer is ready, and the pitch. Way outside, ball four, another bases loaded walk to force in the fourth run of the inning. Ramirez will score on the Greg Allen walk, 
and the Indians now lead it five to three. The last two runs being scored on bases loaded walks. In the ninth inning, Brad Hand came on to wipe out the White Sox and show some of the form in the first half of the season that made him an all-star in the American League. Brad Hand takes plenty of time. He's ready. Here it comes. And Adam Engel swings and misses. Ball game. So Brad Hand has the save and wins. And the Indians with a dramatic four-run eighth inning after they lost the lead in the top of the inning have turned the home opener into a party. Indians with a 5-3 win over the Chicago White Sox to even their slate at 2-2 two and two and win it with a big-time rally in the bottom of the eighth here in the home opener. So the Indians had a win in their home opener over the White Sox by that final score of 5-3. to three. And always fun to look back at box scores and see how much a team changes over the course of the season. The Indians starting lineup that day, leading off playing center field, it featured Leonis Martin, who did not last the season. In fact, didn't make it to the All-Star break for the Indians. Also in that starting lineup on opening day at home, Hanley Ramirez, the designated hitter, Brad Miller was at second base. We mentioned Max Moroff coming on as a defensive replacement and then coming through with a big base hit for the Indians. And also Eric Stamitz was the starting shortstop that day. So a lot of turnover on that Indians roster. But the roster that was for the home opener produced a 5-3 to three win. And the Indians had squared their season record at 2-2. Two and two. Now, of course, the Indians went on to a slow start. In 2019, they found themselves a game under the 500 mark in the early stages of June, but they caught fire and were a contender to reach the postseason until the season's final week. They finished 93-69 and on the year, trailing the Minnesota Twins in the AL Central by eight games and just missing out on the wild-card spots that were won by Tampa Bay and Oakland. Meanwhile, in the National League, the Washington Nationals, they were off to an even slower start than the Indians. In fact, at one point, Washington was 19-31. and But the Nationals came storming back. They earned a wild-card playoff spot in the National League, won the wild-card game over the Brewers, and then a division series upset of the Los Angeles Dodgers before they swept the St. Louis Cardinals in the National League Championship Series to go on to the World Series. And when we come back... We will hear from one of their radio voices, Dave Jagler, who will fill us in on the excitement in our nation's capital over their baseball team, which will be in the World Series for the first time since 1933. That's next as Tribe Talk continues on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Boy, don't go away, folks. This has got a chance to be a classic ending. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. It's our final segment, and we visit in this segment with Dave Jagler, the longtime radio voice now of the Washington Nationals. He joined the Nationals broadcast crew back in the 2006 season, their second season after moving from Montreal. And he was there every step of the way this season as the Nationals overcame a slow start to not only reach the postseason, but now reach the World Series. And needless to say, 
baseball fans in our nation's capital are having a ball as Washington Nationals fever has taken over that city. And uh, Dave says there's a lot of reasons why, not the least of which, well, it's just been a long time coming for the Nats and a Washington baseball team to be back in the fall classic. You know, you're right, Rosie. This will be the first World Series contested in the nation's capital since 1933. So it's been a long time. There are very few people who will be at the 2019 World Series who are alive for the last fall classic in the nation's capital. And for so long, for 33 years, there was no Major League Baseball from when the team moved to Texas in 1971 until the Expos moved to Washington in 2005. And back then they were an American League club. And the old saying was, you know, first in war, first in peace, last in the American League. And now as a, a National League club, uh, they, they finally made it over the hump. Uh, you know, the, the Nationals fan base is, is growing. They've had a core group of strong baseball fans all along. Uh, but but Washington, number one, has been a football town. Uh, the Redskins have been on hard times for a long time. Uh, the Capitals winning the Stanley Cup, as you mentioned a couple of years ago, was great for them. But now I think the, the Nationals have really captured the, the heart of the city and, and really uh, it was almost winning the wild card game. You know, that was kind of like a, a lifting of the lid, if you will, because uh, they've been, they're not postseason strangers. They've been in the postseason four previous times, all as a division winner and all suffering heartbreaking losses. Uh, three of those game fives at home, losing by a single run. So uh, for, for the Nationals to actually break through and clinch something, even though it was the wild card game, it was almost like this release of, of tension and, uh, and then outpouring of joy for the fans. And then uh, to eliminate the Dodgers on the road and actually advance to the championship series for the first time. And uh, the crowds were electric uh, in game three and four of the, of the NLCS. Uh, you get in the first inning, Steven Strasburg would get to an 0-2 count of the first batter, and they're going crazy. And, and, they, and they stayed that way for the entire nine innings of, of both of the home games before ultimately uh, you know, clinching it on their home field. And uh, now uh, sitting around to, to see what happens for the World Series. And I'm sure games three, four, and, and five are going to be uh, even ratcheted up another notch. And let's stay right there. You mentioned sitting around now for a while. And, and that can be a challenge in the game of baseball. You like that routine. You like to be able to play almost every day if you can. What are the Nationals doing to make sure they're sharp when the series opens next week? Yeah, I mean, there's a happy medium. You know, you'd love if in a perfect world to say win the series in six games and, and get three days off. But uh, obviously, when you're sitting there with a chance to close out the series in, in four games, you don't want to give the Cardinals any life. So this is the challenge that's, that is in front of the team. And uh, every challenge that's been put in their way, uh, be that a 19 and 31 start or uh, deficit situations in the postseason, they've been able to overcome that. So this is a new challenge. But uh, I think you have to look at it as, as there are a couple of positives. This is a veteran team. It's actually by age the oldest team in the major leagues. And, you know, Howie Kendrick and Ryan Zimmerman, guys like that who, who played every game in the LCS, Davey Martinez had to manage their playing time in the regular season just to get them through the regular season, to have them fresh for October. So, you know, a few, a few extra days off might not hurt guys like that who are a little longer in the tooth. And the other thing is it allows them to set up their, their pitching the way they want and, and with a lot of choices. Uh, you know, they, they went into the championship series a little shorthanded in that respect. They had to use Steven Strasburg in game five against the Dodgers and Max Scherzer in game four. And actually, Patrick Corbin pitched in relief in game five. So they were left with Anibal Sanchez, their only fresh pitcher, to pitch game one against the Cardinals. And, oh, he just went out and threw seven and two-thirds no-hit innings. Um, so at, at going into the, the World Series, they'll have their pitching uh, lined up the way they want. Uh, you know, to go into that best of seven series. But uh, you know, after a couple of days off, they're, they're really trying to simulate game conditions, 
uh, you know, using some of the extra players who are not going to be on the postseason roster, uh, you know, to throw simulated games and to try to uh, manufacture some game-like conditions. But, you know, history tells us it's not an easy thing to do. Uh, the Nationals are very limited in World Series experience, but they do have two players who were in the exact same scenario in 2012, and that's Max Scherzer and Anibal Sanchez. Both were on the Tigers who swept the Yankees, sat around, and then actually got swept by the San Francisco Giants. So maybe behind the scenes, you know, they're using their experience to try to tell some guys what to do and what to avoid doing. And Indians fans very familiar with one of your catchers, Jan Gomes, who who's had an up-and-down season, I know, as, as he gets used to a new ball club. But it uh, looks like he's had some big hits for you down the stretch. Yeah, he, he was actually great in September. Kurt Suzuki, who had a, a very good season, was sharing uh, catching time with Jan Suzuki, went down with some elbow issues late in the season. So Gomes played almost every day as they were surging to – uh, to clinch a, a wild card berth. So I think that September helped him. He struggled a bit in the division series, but Suzuki actually got dinged up. He got hit by a pitch in game five against the Dodgers. And so Suzuki, uh, or, or rather Gomes, caught Anibal Sanchez. Now, Suzuki had been Sanchez's personal catcher all year, and Gomes teamed with Sanchez for game one in the championship series. And Sanchez tossed a no-hitter into the eighth inning. Uh, so that pairing actually worked well. Gomes had a big hit in that game, uh, driving in the first run of the game. He had two hits in that game overall. And then he caught Patrick Corbin, and he's caught Corbin every start this year. He's been Corbin's personal catcher, and Jan had a two-run single as part of their seven-run first inning in the clinching game four. So Gomes has had his moments uh, after what was a disappointing first half of the season. But, you know, even though he wasn't hitting like he, he did last year for the Indians or like he'd want to this year, he always did a good job working with Corbin and the other pitchers that he'd be teamed with. And you know he's been a real positive influence on the ball club. All right, heading into the series, I know when the Indians played the Nationals the last three games of the regular season, uh, several coaches were extremely impressed with the talent level for Washington. But um, I'm going to guess you've been an underdog in, just a, <laughs> in each of the series you've been. And maybe, I don't know, maybe not against the Cardinals. But you, you probably will be, no matter who, yep. you know, the World Series opponent. Um, it seems like that team's embraced it. And, and can you speak to that in, in terms of, of how they've approached things here? Yeah, I mean, they, they were a, a sizable underdog to the uh, 106-win Dodgers. And, and I guess, uh, you know, maybe even uh, or, or a little underdog because they didn't have the home field advantage against St. Louis, but they actually had more wins than the Cardinals. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're going to be, uh, you know, probably the, the number two seed out of two going into the World Series. But I think when you can throw Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg and, and Corbin and Sanchez, uh, you're, you're going to take your chance to to win a, a best of seven series. So uh, there, there's no lack of confidence in that clubhouse. And we, we talk about how they are the oldest team. I mean, the, these veteran leaders, many of them haven't been in the World Series before. So this is a, a career-defining opportunity for Howie Kendrick, who hit the Grand Slam. I mean, it's the greatest moment in Nationals history. Uh, for his 10th inning Grand Slam to beat Los Angeles in Game 5 at Dodger Stadium. He himself, a former Dodger, uh, Kendrick was the, the NLCS MVP. He'll finally get to play in the World Series. Ryan Zimmerman has been a national every year the Nationals have existed coming up in 2005. He finally gets to play in a World Series. So uh, they, they don't care who they're going to play. Uh, they're going to go out and, and, and just play the way that they have been all year and to follow David Martinez's mantra, go 1-0 today. and That'll be game one on Tuesday. And then go 1-0 on Wednesday. And then when it goes to D.C. Friday, go 1-0 on Friday. And they'll take their chances. So, uh, you know, looking forward to, to hopefully a, a one more series win, but it's been a fun ride while we've, uh, while we've been on it. 
Well, there's nothing like a, a run to the World Series for any franchise. And, uh, Dave, enjoy the heck out of it. A long way to go, hopefully, uh, for the Nationals. And uh, thanks so much for coming by and, and sharing with us on what it's been like in our nation's capital. All right. My pleasure, Rosie. Thank you. That's Dave Jagler, longtime radio voice for the Washington Nationals, preparing for the World Series. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Tribe Talk. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back next week with another off-season edition of our show. As always, thanks to Brian Matze for all of his help in putting together our shows each week. Until next week, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network has been brought to you by Progressive, helping Indians fans save hundreds on car insurance.